0: All right guys, what it do, what's poppin', what's good to all my overachievers out there in these streets, wherever you are, whether it's D.C., Maryland, Virginia, France, uh, I saw New Zealand, Mexico, you know, we out here, we going global. I just shouted out uh, everywhere that pops up on my uh, Podbean analytics, you know, uh, apparently most of the listeners are from the DC area, which makes the most sense. You know, that would, it would be kind of surprising if I had a bunch of listeners in Alaska, <laughs> but Hey, shout out to the DMV that always shows love your boys in a very positive mood, uh, despite this, uh, rainy weather. Um, I just, uh, I did a show last night at the DC improv. I, I was, uh, I was subbed in, I substituted for a feature, uh, spot um I was featuring last night for Tim Dillon um which uh if y'all don't know about Tim Dillon, yo, y'all got to y'all got to do your googles, you know. Do your YouTube's, do your do your analytic research. This dude, he's a he's a he's a dude on the come up. Um he's the host of the podcast Tim Dillon is going to going to hell. Um but he's one of the he's got a Netflix special, like one of those 15-minute joints. He's just a beast. I mean, really I was thinking about it, we had a cool talk in the green room before the show, Um, but uh, I was thinking about like, who the new crop, the new class of headliners, and um, he is one of the guys I think is uh, one of the few crushers, when I say crusher, what's a crusher, like the dude who goes on stage, and the levels of lat, like the, 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 the decibels of the laughs are so high you're like what the fuck is going on you know what i mean like that type of energy type shit no no dis- don't no disrespect to my peers who um who are you know considered the new class of headliners but like not everyone be crushing like that <laughs> and uh tim dillon's a guy i look up to like as far as getting to that level of like energy as far as the laughs go so respect to tim um that was a fun show shout out to all the uh new fans off that show uh, I, I had a really uh, fun time performing at the DC Improv which you know I don't know I, I, I might talk about it quite a bit on this on this uh on this thing but the DC Improv hey don't sleep on the DC Improv if you're from the DC area or if you live in, within the DMV the DC Improv has got to be top 3 top 4 comedy clubs in the country like it's up there you know Um, A couple names pop up, like Denver Comedy Works a lot, Uh, you know, people bring up um, this joint in like there's a couple clubs that like are considered like really just good for comedy, but DC Improv is always in the running, and these these are, you know, what headliners tell me when I'm in the green room, so I'm like, oh yeah, I just happen to live, you know, 30 minutes away, so I guess I lucked out on being in this area, you know, and being selected. You know, because I was thinking, I was like, damn, man, we, I just got done with the audition week last week. That shit was stressful. Let me tell you something. I thought I was cool. Nah. <laughs> I thought I was all zen and shit. Like, no, this don't affect me. Man, it affected everything. You know what I mean? Your boy was, uh, your boy was, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't be chill, you know? A dude, you know? When a white guy in a fedora is determining your future, or what you know, at least what it feel, what makes you feel like is going to be determining your future, it's it's very uh, it could throw you off, man. I thought I I, I thought I've been through enough things where I'm not going to throw your boy off, but I was thrown off a little bit, but now I'm back to being uh even killed Martin Amini. That's my Martin even keeled Amini. That's what that's what they call me right now, you know, because when they see me, they're like, yo, Martin, you look, you look mad even killed right now. I'm like, yeah, I know that's my vibe everyone knows that about me so back to normal you know back to uh back to martin new material amini uh that's where i'm in my happiest when i'm dropping some new material so i, ha- I had the show last night at the dc improv uh, featuring is like 20 minutes so uh, uh the, and and last night was my first time featuring at the dc improv which is a huge deal a lot of people don't know the significance of featuring at the dc improv or just what, what what's a feature what's the difference so so in comedy you basically the the real quick the for those who aren't comics um, the levels of comedy it's like open mic comedian then you're asked to host shows at a comedy club host uh, do anywhere between 8 to 10 minutes right and then a feature does uh 20 minutes then a headliner does 45 to 60 minutes so i've featured you know i've headlined all over the place. But uh, I've never been asked to feature at the DCM prop. So after, you know, six plus years, I got my first feature spot. Uh, and it went very well. So that was a pretty cool thing. Um, and then I got to do Big Hunt last night. And your boy's working out the new material. I'm back in the gym. That shit got me giddy, man. Because I was, I was doing that same set for those auditions last week. Man, that shit was driving me fucking nuts, son. I don't know if you could tell, like, on the last... Not the one with Matt Deakins, but the episode before. I was just breathing mad hard on that episode, son, because I was. It was during auditions week, and I was like, I was like, uh, I, I had just trouble breathing. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Even on the podcast, I can't even talk. This is this is weird. So, if you could tell by my uh, energy on this one, woo, I am back, baby. Fucking Fuck. Fuck people telling you. What's your What's your funny worth? <laughs> where, where, is this, where, where are you on the Nasdaq of funny? I'll tell you sir You don't tell me Or a sir or lady You know what I mean It could be a lady You know we don't know Determining who, You know who are Behind closed doors Who are these execs At Comedy Central In Montreal Just for like We don't know We really don't know What's going on Um. So yeah The new material Is coming along great You know Having new material It feels like you know, that fresh new outfit that hasn't been posted on Instagram yet. You're like, mm, wait till the streets see this one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Y'all remember that feeling, man? You, you get your fresh, your first, uh, your new outfit for like back to school, back when you were a kid and shit, elementary, middle school. Yeah, you know, I don't know what y'all, I don't know the, co- like, you know, for you guys, but for me, you know, the first day of school back at Strathmore Elementary was a big deal, man. You had to have the outfit laid out in the bed. The T-shirt, the jeans, the fresh Nikes, and you just had to like anticipate the reaction at the bus stop the next day, cause you know you had you had a couple people that you wanted to like kind of stun on, and be like, yo, I know he's gonna come with his his new Nautica, but wait till they see me with this Tommy Hilfiger shirt. They don't know about this one yet, you know. I had, I found this in the back of the back of the rack at Marshalls, you know, in the secret department, <laughs> you know. I don't know if y'all ever go to Marshalls, but that's where the uh they had the exclusive Echo jeans uh with the rhinoceros on it, you know, going for under 20. Sometimes I would find something I really liked and I would hide it and then come back a week later, you know, because I wanted to ensure that uh my outfit was ready for uh the first week of school. Um, but that's what it feels like to have new jokes, just making sure like my shit's A1 because uh I'm getting ready to drop the next special the next youtube joint your boy oh also very positive news um we have just reached a thousand uh over a thousand subscribers on youtube which allows me to start uh what do you call it i think the word is monetizing you know your boy starts can, can do some ads now and i'm gonna start dropping more ep- i'm a, uh i'm in the process of trying to do uh podcast episodes on youtube with the video camera and the whole thing so your boy's about to expand the production, you know, about to go Hollywood, Hollywood Amini. So I'm about to have a bunch of nicknames by the summertime. Um, yeah, man. Uh, so the new material starting to come along. Very excited about that. That shit was, uh, it's important to me to, to keep dropping new stuff because I'm not trying to get caught up in that whole cycle of like saying the same things on stage. That shit. I don't know that's the whole reason I think I avoided like having a real job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just doing the same shit every day. I can't I can't picture that, man. That's that's something that if you're in that cycle, man, you got to keep it fresh. You got to like join a Zumba class or do some yoga, do some shit that makes you uncomfortable. A lot of people underestimate the the power of doing things that makes you uncomfortable because like sometimes I think a majority of us We shy away from doing things Out of the sake of like convenience You know Sometimes it could be like Reaching out to a friend you might not be talking to Or uh, Enlisting yourself in a local gym Or You know Getting back in touch with like Whatever the fuck you're into Like I don't know I've never been a church dude But for some people it's that Uh, For me You know is talking about uh the importance of being racist towards my nephew to make him tougher. <laughs> that's my new uh topic I'm t- I'm trying to touch on. And uh you know that's what uh that's what that's what it is, man, you know. So I'm back in the mix, uh dropping new material. A lot's happening right now in the in 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 uh in the area. If you're not a uh Washington dc sports fan you might not know this but the washington wizards fire their general manager ernie grunfeld which again if you're not familiar with dc sports uh you might like martin what is what's the significance of this? well the significance is uh for those who aren't even in the dc area you might not know this but i'm a closeted dc sports fan i don't talk about it because all our teams are trash and you might say like well how does this, how does this affect us well, I'll tell you how it affects you guys listening. Because if you're listening, you're probably familiar with my stand-up. And a lot of my stand-up is inspired by growing up in an area with terrible sports teams. Like, what? Well, I don't see the correlation. How does this work? I'm like, well, I'll tell you how this works, guys. If The Washington Redskins or the Washington Wizards Ever made it to the finals in any <laughs> in any year from <laughs> from 1987 to now? I mean, yeah, Redskins had some things in the early uh, late 80s and early 90s, but I was you know a child. I didn't remember that shit. Maybe if they were a successful sports franchise, I would need to go and talk to strangers about my feelings because I would feel fulfilled from having a good sports team. But instead, their terribleness drives me to work hard. So I don't end up like those guys. Yeah, that's right. I'm using them as an example of how much they suck. They're not overachievers. They're the opposite. The Washington Wizards and the Washington Redskins are underachievers. That's right. But you know what? I still got love for them (laughs) because I'm loyal. I'm loyal to D.C. I'm loyal to my sports franchises. I don't really like, you know watch the capitals like that you know yes they won a championship but you know hockey and baseball don't count you know no disrespect to the capitals no disrespect to the nationals but if you catch me at a baseball game i'm only there to please my uh, girlfriend's conservative family (laughs) if you see me at a nationals game with the hot dog with the national sweater i'm only there to make peace i'm not there to have fun it's not a leisurely activity i'll do for fun i won't go to a baseball game and and, and watch grown men just, I don't know, chewing gum. I don't know what they do at baseball games. They eat hot dog. It's not, even honestly, even going to any sports outing is not that popping. It's more convenient to just stay in the house and watch. I just like the whole, I like the sports. You know, I grew up playing sports. So that's, so yeah, the Wizards, they fire their general manager. And uh, hopefully they turn things around, you know. But if you're still like pessimistic about the future, don't worry. Use the the terribleness of these teams, right? To drive you to create what you need to do in your life. Because a lot of times we rely on sports to cheer us up. I know I've done it. I'm guilty of it. I still Google Redskins every day to see what's going on with the team and who are they're going to draft this quarterback. I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a hopeless romantic when it comes to sports. But what I do is I take that sadness that I get from the Redskins every day and I turn it into something, turn something into beautiful, you know what I mean? Like when the moth turns into a, a, a butterfly, I don't know if that's the right analogy or if those are the right insects to turn into each other, but y'all get the idea, you know what I mean, on some on some uh beautiful, poetic Kendrick Lamar shit, you know? So that is where I'm at with the D.C. sports. Don't hold your breath on any of those teams getting better because they're going to be terrible forever. It's just... The cards were dealt, but it's what we do with the negative energy. How we decide to live. Are we going to be sad about it? No. We're going to make jokes about it. We're going to make memes about it. We're going to laugh at the fact that, you know, at one point the Washington Redskins had a quarterback named Gus Verratt, the first player to injure himself on a touchdown celebration. How are you going to have a quarterback score a touchdown and then be so elated that he he's going to run his head into a wall and then injure himself for 3 weeks. You know how embarrassing and stupid that is? That's going to that that's going to haunt us for the rest of our lives. Just that. So but I I don't want you guys to be sad about the DC sports teams, but I'll tell you one thing that makes me upset. Not a lot of things make me upset, but this is what makes me upset is when we see all these Dallas Cowboy fans now, you guys are like, what's the significance of the Dallas Cowboys if you're not from if you're from New Zealand or Mexico, you might not know this, but the Washington Redskins have a deep rivalry with the team called the Dallas Cowboys. That's right. The Redskins and Cowboys have beef. Who would have thought? And what makes me sick to my stomach is when my when, when I know people who root for the Dallas Cowboys knowingly know how passionate I am about the Washington Redskins and yes I'm talking about my close friend my childhood friend Austin Solis who sometimes listens to this I'm not going to tell him I said his name on this one I want to see if he's going to listen to this and maybe we'll have a talk about it later but when I see Dallas Cowboy fans in Washington D.C. and they look at me and I look at them and we both know that we're not fond of each other's beliefs and sporting teams you know they're like why are you a Redskins fan it's like because I'm from DC why are you a Cowboys fan and they're like I like their team in 1992 when they had Emmitt Smith Troy Aikman and I'm like dude that was 20 years ago grow up be a man don't be an idiot so that was my little riff on the Cowboys and uh how stupid they are and how stupid my friend Austin Solis is But for the most part, I think uh, I think we're good. You know, I think we're in a good place to uh, talk about the next thing that's on the on the agenda. Um, I didn't want to start off with this because it's kind of like on some sad. I didn't want to start the episode on some sad shit, but it's been I haven't really addressed it on my social everyone. This is what everyone does now. When someone great passes away that had an impact, everyone turns the social media and Post a picture about him on their profile And the person I'm talking about uh, this week Is uh, Nipsey Hussle um, Who was uh, tragically You know uh, Killed in front of his store In uh, in Crenshaw in Los Angeles And uh, that shit Was crazy because it. I mean No one can see that coming but it was just Someone like that at this In 2000 you know it just sucks how much We can like at this point still have tragic deaths like that And the reason why it was hard for me to even like Didn't really post about it and everything Because it brought back a lot of a lot of feelings man Because um Not like I had anyone close I lost a friend For some people who don't know uh, I lost a very close friend last year who, A comedian friend of mine He wasn't murdered But he you know He tragically passed away And um When that happened It kind of like Put me in a place where I like I couldn't really talk. It was very difficult to even talk about because it was like so sudden, kind of like this death. Even though I never knew Nipsey, I never interacted with him, I just listened to his music for the past eight, nine years. Like Nipsey Hustle, when I, at, at one point when I was living in LA, that's all I listened to in the car for like a whole summer, it's just the album The Marathon. And the cool, the, like, the one, like, if there's a positive takeaway from this tragic death tragic uh you know tragic passing of nipsey is that he left a, le- a legacy of like of good music music with substance music that can still motivate you and i'm like yo that's a dope life man yo you have an impact like that where to the point where even after you're, after you're gone you can still have an effect on people that's a life worth living, even after, you know, passing at the age of 33, which is so young. But his music is like, that's how good it was. To the point where like, you can listen to it at any time and place and feel something. And it makes you want to like, you know, aspire to be like, yo, I'm gonna, keep, I'm gonna keep working at what I'm trying to work at. And that's what, that's at least that's my takeaway from it. You know, you can't really say that about a lot of artists and he had that effect so that's what made if you're not familiar with his work you know check him out check out the uh the marathon album that was from uh i think that was one of his like earlier joints that had an impact on me and uh i don't know if i talk about music a lot at least on this podcast but i I talk about it on stage i talk about i was like earlier this year i was talking about um 21 Savage a lot on stage About how like You know like For those who don't know 21 Savage was uh, Going through a situation With um, Being deported Back to England And how like Ice You know Took him into custody And he had to fight That legal battle I don't know where it is Right now but I had 21 Savage Is like more on the Newer artist side As opposed to Nipsey He's more established He's been doing it Much longer but What I liked about 21 Savage Is similar to Nipsey His music had like Substance and stories It wasn't a tip It wasn't like A a lot of these Like 2019 artists Where it's just like Rapping over beats And just It just goes with the rhythm But They're not saying anything Which to be fair There's been artists like that Throughout time That we've all Fell victim to You know We're at a party Like Juveniles playing Yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna You know I'm gonna go with the Go with the moment and just enjoy Juvenile for what this is. You know, this young lady chooses to dance with me. When Juvenile's playing, so be it. These are the cards I was dealt. I'm not going to analyze Juvenile's lyrics. You know what I mean? Uh, With the microscope. But when it comes to like being in the car, you know, guys like Nipsey Hussle, yo, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to someone with some, I don't know. For me, I've always appreciated people that that had some substance, That had stories, you know, and not to take anything away from guys like um, Kendrick Lamar or J Cole, who are like one of the best at their crafts, and as as far as hip hop goes. But my my this is my take, and this is how I feel about comedy. Like, there's always gonna be people who are like who grew up in a neighborhood where, uh, you know, they they sat on the park bench and they observed, and they tell stories about what they observed. A la the Nazis of the world, or there's gonna be people who actually live that life and engage with the environment that they grew up in, and tell stories about how they were living. A la Nipsey Hussle, 21 Savage, and in the best case, the you know one of my heroes is Jay Z. You know when you hear Jay Z talk, he's telling a story from like what he was doing. Sure, some of it might be dramatized for the sake of the song, but when he's talking, you're like, yo, he, you could tell he really lived it. Cause he talking about emotions going from moment to moment in a story. And it's like, yo, I feel like I was in st I feel like I was in the car with them when they shot, you know, when he, when he talked about shooting his brother, cause he lost his, you know, he lost his shit. Like, yo, that's a real moment. Sure. There's been times when I thought about shooting my brother. I never shot him, but I could see how Jay-Z shot his brother at one point. So, I was, you know, I was thinking about that with Nipsey. Like, that's that's that shit is rare when someone that you know Nipsey Hustle. Again, people probably some people listening to this might know who he is. Some people don't. He he's from you know he uh, his parents I think immigrated to this country, and uh, he grew up in L.A. and he he was a he's a Crip. He was a part of a gang. You know, the gang culture is uh it's got a lot of history. So growing up in L.A. being a Crip. Gang banging, he was for you know he had to engage and then he got you know he was still affiliated till the end but you know he wasn't promoting or glorifying any of that behavior in fact i think i saw this on the news i kind of stayed away from reading a lot of headlines i was like "I, i can't it's too much right now but one of the headlines i did see was like the day before he was killed he wrote a letter to the uh to the head of police the lapd about meeting up with them and discussing ways to uh you know disarm the gang culture uh you know and find ways to make peace within the community which is and then the the head of police went on you know and actually read the letter publicly it was like a whole i was like damn man this is too this is too much this is overwhelming like, ah, uh, because there's so many like conspiracy theories on why he was killed he was also working on a documentary for this guy dr sebi who um who I believe publicly said that he found the cure for AIDS, and he was assassinated, and there was conspiracies that the government killed him so he wouldn't like you know share the the cure or with the public or something like that. And Nipsey made it a point to to make a documentary showcasing this, and it's still being in the, it was like in the works and almost being done, being made and you know distributed. So there's some conspiracy. It was just a lot, but the the, the takeaway is the impact he had right and the good music he left us with and like focusing on like hey amen make make your days count you know whatever you're doing make sure you go 100 make sure you know if you try and tell jokes make sure you put in the work if you're trying to make uh graphic designs yo, make sure you you get your software and get that shit up you know if you're trying to make films and movies and yo, get your get your uh you know get your scripts in order just don't wait. You know, all this shit's going to come to end. Not, not to be all like, you know, tragic, but I don't know if you guys been watching the news, but this shit is, should be getting, shit is getting crazy right now. So we might as well go out doing podcast episodes. <laughs> we might as well just hang out in our bedrooms and start talking to a microphone and, and sharing our feelings. Cause Hey man, we don't know how long, how much time we got left. We might as well document the shit and see what happens, man. That's how I feel. I'm like, yo, fuck it. The way things are going right now, hey man, I'm gonna get these, I'm gonna get these ideas off real quick. Cause I got things to do. I got some sh- shows to produce. I got some shows to promote. April 10th, DC improv. I got my bro Rob Hayes. You know? I posted one of his joints on Instagram. If you go on the Overachievers DC page, you can see um his Jimmy Fallon set. My man killed it on Jimmy Fallon. Killed it. One of the best sets I've seen on Late Night. He's one of the best. You guys got to come through. I think we got some special guests coming through that night. If I'm not mistaken, Kaysom Wilson might pop up. I already know we got Lafayette Wright, Amina Amon. Like, the lineup's crazy. I mean, again, I don't want to emphasize. I don't want to make come off like I'm being super promoty. But, like, the truth is, these are really good shows. Like, these are, like, the shows are... I was thinking about it cuz I did this like we I did it like a a selfie video talking about it, but I was thinking I was like, "Damn, what other shows guaranteed good all the time?" Like this is a guaranteed good show. Guaranteed good li- like a live event, things can go wrong all the time. Like something could happen. You know, a performer could be off. But when you're like the way I booked the show, it's like so many guys have so many people, so many of these performers have been like, they're so experienced and so good that they can, it can offset any other person who's having an off night, which I don't know for $10. I'm like, dude, that's, that's a fucking cool ass situation. You know, DJ Bo and I, we've been cooking. I was talking to him, man. I think this might be the year things are going to go, uh, to the next level, you know? And, uh, couldn't be more excited about that, man. You know, so we talked about Nipsey. We talked about uh, Ernie Grunfeld being fired. Um, I'll share. I'll share some stories because um, we're on some L.A. shit. You know, we we're talking about uh, young Martin listening to Nipsey back in the day in the Toyota Camry when I was living in L.A. I touched on it a little bit But I didn't really get into the whole uh, What I was doing in LA um, At the time I was living in LA for It was like a two year window um, When I graduated from the University of Maryland In 2009 I decided to move to San Francisco uh, To pursue you know, What I told my parents Law school I said let me go to uh, San Francisco And take a Kaplan course for the LSATs and um, try to get some uh, res- uh residency in-state tuition for um for law schools. In order to get in-state, you gotta be a resident in the state for a year. So I said, let me go ahead and move, apply to law schools, get a good good get a good tuition rate. That's what I told my parents. But in reality, I was just there to uh, get a cheaper price on weed because that's where they're growing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was out there. Uh, I mean, I did take the Kaplan. course. I was doing all that stuff that I told my family. But the real motivation was to find a plug in Mendocino County, which I ended up did. But that's another that's another story. I'm just telling you how I ended up in Cali for two years. So I was in the Kaplan course. Um, met some cool. I met one cool person in my Kaplan course, you know, for the LSATs. His name was Cooge. I think he was like the only black dude there. And we became friends. We studied together. And then maybe after like three, four weeks studying for the LSATs, I I quickly realized that uh, law school wasn't for me. Not because I didn't feel like I could do it. I just looked around at the class. The majority of the Kaplan course kids were like, there were some squares. They were nerds. And I had just done undergrad for four years at Maryland. I was like, do I really want to commit to three years of law school with these people? This shit's going to... Kill my spirit. I don't want to be in a class with these guys. Kluge was cool, but even he was telling me, like, Yo, dog, you got this like LA energy about you. I don't even know. And I was like, What does that even mean, LA energy? And he's like, Dude, I don't know. You just got this LA vibe. And I had never even been to LA at that point. It was like 2009, about to be 2010. So January 1st, 2010, I get in my Toyota Camry, you know, my 98 Camry and i drive from san francisco to la on the way to la with my bag with my with my belongings in my trunk i call my cousin my cousin max i'm like yo he's like what's up i was like i'm moving to la bro he's like for real he's like yeah i'm like yeah <laughs> and uh he's like yo come through you can hang out at my place i'm like all right cool so i go to la and so i end up in la uh, I'm hanging out with my cousin. It's like the first day, I guess, January 1st. We go. He takes me to a Persian restaurant in L.A. And he's like, so what do you want to do in L.A.? And I was like, I don't know, man. I, you know, I just wanted to scope it out, feel it out. People were telling me I should check it out. So here I am. He's like, cool, man. Yeah, Uh, you know, it's a cool place, you know. Got any ideas? And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll. This is what I said. I'm not, I'm not making this shit up. I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to open up a hookah shop. He's like. Oh, for real? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got some money saved up. I didn't want, I hated, at this point, my cousin never knew what I was doing, but I had some, I had a significant amount saved up enough to open up a shop if I wanted to open up a shop. I was like, yo, I'm gonna open up a hookah shop because I feel like a hookah shop at that stage in my life was like a chill job. Like, yeah, I'll own a hookah shop. I'll be like that, you know, I'll be the guy. People just go hang out at my spot and, you know, uh, it would be like a fun, you know, a fun hang. At that time I was smoking hookahs. I don't know. I was I was 21. I was 21 years old. So don't judge me. All right, that's what I thought was at the time cool hanging out at hookah shops. So uh he looked at me. He's like, "Hookah shops, huh?" And I could tell he was like, "This kid's an idiot." And he was like, "You know, uh if you want to do business and make money, cuz that's what it sounds like you want to do." you know, you're in LA, you're in Hollywood. The real business in LA is the, is the entertainment industry. And I was like, huh? And I was like, I was like looking at him like, wow, didn't really think about that. I, I cause <laughs> it was, it was obvious, but I just never, I don't know. It never crossed my, mind. I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland. I never, I was never exposed to f- the film business. I thought that shit was, uh, you know, like, uh, it just it was so far removed from what I was doing. So he was, I was like, all right, so what do you, what do you, what do you what? I was like, hey, that sounds cool. Like, what do you, what do you think I could do in the, film, in the entertainment? And he's like, well, you know, you could be a director, you know, you can be an actor, you can be a producer. And I was like, oh, producer, what is that? That sounds cool. He's like, yeah, they just produce things. I was like, well, they produce movies. They make a lot of decisions. They're kind of like the boss. I was like, ooh, that does sound enticing. I was like, how do I, uh, become a producer? And then he was like, well, you gotta, uh, you gotta become a, you gotta work at a production office You know Like the first way to get in Is become an intern And I was like Alright well how do I become an intern It's like well you gotta Make some phone calls And emails And get a resume So <laughs> I, I like literally Had no experience in this field But somehow Through some like Back channel shit Um I got a I got an internship at Double feature films Which was uh the producers were Michael Schamberg and Stacy Schaer. They produced films like Get Shorty, Contagion, Um, Django Unchained Chain. They like Stacy Scher at one point was dating Quentin Tarantino way back when Tarantino was writing the script for Pulp Fiction. So ever since then, Stacy Scher has co produced every Tarantino film. I'm not exactly uh sure how um like that works out, but she was the producer. So I'm there, uh, I guess, what was it, 2010, maybe 2000, probably like 2011. And I'm an intern, right? So I'm like this dude from Silver Spring, went to Kennedy High School, uh, just sold weed up until that point. Got no real experience. Driven an ice cream truck from, t- you know, from place to place. But I've never been in an office environment. You know, I put on my best button up from Ted Baker. I was trying to fit in, do my thing, you know, sl- slick my hair to the side, try to play the part. I looked the part, but I just never had no uh, office experience. So I remember <laughs> like it was yesterday, the assistants. So like in, in entertain, I guess, so it's intern on the, on the totem pole. It's like intern assistant, right? Then it's like, crea- uh, they call him a CE, a creative executive. And then it's like Stacey Share and Michael Schamberg who are like, to give you an idea they get like a million dollars per film like that's their producer fee it's a million dollars it's fucking crazy so anyway first day there they put me on a desk um i'm like reading scripts that's being submitted from like agencies and uh sometimes um they have you field calls like when calls come in if like their coke like the the assistants at the time was a girl named coco and, and giovanni giovanni was training me and he was trying to train me on how to use the phones I never really I know it sounds basic as fuck but I never really worked phones before like as far as like holding because they had a whole protocol on like how to um you know uh take calls you're like when when someone calls you're like double feature films you have to say it with a certain tone like double feature films and they're like and then they'll be like uh Michael Schamberg. and then you're like uh please hold and you put them on hold and then um depending on who they are and what their agency is you kind of like uh go to their office and you're like, you, we got this person from CAA calling. And they kind of like, just look at you like, all right, put them through. And then they put them through. And then if not, they're like, um, can I take a message if they don't want to talk to them? And then you take a message. And then like, uh, basically that's being done throughout the entire day. So there's like 50 calls. So the first person I get a call from was uh, this lady trying to speak to like, I forget, like Stacy or some shit. So like, yeah, Stacy, share. I'm like, please hold. And then like, I instead of putting on hold, <laughs> I accidentally um. I accidentally like hung up, and then I was like, I told Giovanni. He's like, Yo, this lady called. I was like, What was her name? And I was like, Uh, this is her name. And I was like, Yeah, but I accidentally hung up. He's like, Do you know who you just hung up on? I was like, No. He's like, Yo, you just hung up on Miley Cyrus's mom. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first day working at double feature films man i fucking hung up on miley cyrus's mom she called back she was angry as shit i didn't get fired um but i was there for maybe another eight months and um but that was uh that was my first day man you know so many fucking crazy stories man i uh i'm gonna tell more stories on the next one i I think i'm running out of steam on this one i i'm gonna go uh what do you call it um Take a break, but I think on the next one, I'll go more into the Hollywood because st- I got some. I got yo, here's my top moments in Hollywood. Um, at that while I was at Double Feature Films, uh, towards the end when it before I like left, um, they produced they were producing they were working on a Django Unchained, and when they were working on Django, uh, they were like going back and forth with like they were trying to get Will Smith to play the part of Jamie Foxx. So they were like in these like really intense meetings, but Will Smith has like this whole team and they were like constantly going back and forth over the phone. So the energy of the office was like crazy. And um, they would talk so much shit about Will Smith. Cause I think at the time, Will Smith was really hesitant to take on the role. Cause he was, you know, he was trying to protect his brand and his image and he didn't want, you know, the script was like <laughs> basically, you know, Jamie Foxx was being called the N word a lot or, you know, the character, and he's basically, like, it just was not the role that Will Smith's his team didn't see Will Smith in that, so they, like, ended up eventually declining, and, like, every day, like, curse words were being, like, thrown around about Will Smith, and I was like, oh, this is, I'm like, in, in the back, I'm like, yo, this is crazy, so they, you know, Will Smith, they talking shit, uh. but, um, the cooler, the cooler part about it was this, like, one day in particular, um, when they were uh trying to get the, you know, the cast together, they were sending out scripts to like potential um candidates for the roles. So at one point, Michael Kenneth Williams, the guy who played uh Omar, um and uh the guy who played Omar in the Wire, one of my favorite TV shows and one of my favorite actors. At that time it was like probably at his height as far as like popping. So they were considering Michael Kenneth Williams for, like, I guess the part of Jamie. I don't know if that was the case, but they were considering him. So I had to they asked me to drop off a script to him at his hotel. So I got to pull up and uh, basically drop off a script on some cool shit to uh, Omar. And I remember he pulled up in his car and he had, like, a, I guess, a friend with him. And that was pretty much there was no uh, nothing past that. But then fast forward the next day, they were like, yo, uh, Mar, we need you to go to this house in the hills. Um. Make sure you get there. Don't do, you know, don't fuck this up. And I'm like, and they, they usually when they send me out on these little errands to drop off scripts to the people, they don't really, they don't say nothing. Like, I've been to Danny DeVito's house. I've been in a couple. They don't really tell me whose house it is. They just tell me it's just drop it off, right? But on this particular day, they're like, "Yo, don't fuck this up." So I get the new edit of the script, and I'm driving in the hills. I'm in like Maholland. Drive. It's like where the Hollywood Hills are. And so I'm driving up the hill, I'm driving up the hill and then there's this gate. And then I press the button. They're like, yeah, who is, and I was like, yo, it's, uh, Martin Amini from double feature films here at the script. And they're like, they buzz me in. I go up and then I start seeing uh memorable memorabilia from the movie. Kill Bill. The little, um, what do you call it? There's little, the statues, uh, like the little Asian statues. Um, and I was like, yo, this is pretty cool. I'm like, damn, this is like extravagant. And <laughs> and then I knock on the door. And uh, Quentin Tarantino opens the door. And I'm like, oh, shit. And then he, he looks at me. He's like, I'm like, oh, I'm here with the script. And he just points at the guest house. Apparently, I wasn't supposed to knock on his door. I was supposed to go straight to the guest house. So uh, I go to the guest house. Stacy shares in there with Who may she be hanging out with? No other than Harvey Weinstein, guys. That's right. Martin Amini delivered a script to Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) And that's how this episode concludes. The Hollywood tales of Martin Amini, baby. Uh, I'll tell more stories. Like I said, I I think I I need to get some lunch. So thank you guys for listening. Um, We talked about a lot on this one. Uh, I'm going to keep trying to do these solo dolo episodes um and try to have some new fresh things for for every uh every week so if you like these joints man let me know cuz I don't know I'm just really I'm just really in my bedroom just talking right now I don't know what the vibe is I don't know if you guys are still listening so if you you got this far we're like 42 minutes in yo be like yo shoot me a dm on the IG like yo dog that that story was crazy I liked it keep telling more stories you know I got I got a couple other joints I got some gems hidden you know, I got a, I got a, a cool Makai Pfeiffer story. I got a cool, you know, I got a couple cool ones I'm still holding on to. Cause I, you know, those are, I got to spread out the episodes. Um, what else? That's it. Just subscribe, comment. If you haven't subscribed or commented on the, uh, on the podcast, please do. Cause I'm, I'm really trying to commit to doing these more often. So if you get a chance, do that. It would help me out and uh yeah man tickets to the april 10th show at the dc improv they're now on sale they're still on sale we got a few tickets left i think it's going to be sold out so make sure you go to the dc buy your tickets like i said it's going to be a really good show i said about all the shows but this one is definitely uh in that same ilk so thank you guys for listening see you guys on the next episode peace